0: Good morning, friends. This morning's teaching is from Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Faith. Well, good morning again, guys. My name is uh, Sean. If I don't know you, I'm the teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. John already told you a little bit about who we are as redemption. Um, I asked John to not make one announcement because I wanted to make it um, so, uh, so I can share it with you guys now. So as you know, we're getting bigger um, and we're getting more and more packed uh, every single week. Uh, matter of fact, last week we had a lineup up chairs uh, along the side, and so we're trying to wrestle with what that looks like next steps, and, and we feel like we've uh, you know, figured out a plan and some things that we're going to do, and so this is kind of an official announcement for you. Um, as of November 20th, we are going to start meeting at Centennial High School, okay? Um, and, uh, you know, we're breaking fire code at a couple places, a couple times uh, in this service. I feel like Centennial's in a good place. It's, if you don't know where it is, it's honestly just two miles. We're, we're on Peoria, then you go to Cactus, and then Thunderbird. It's just two miles that way, and it's actually one exit closer uh, than, than we are currently from the 101. It's on 83rd and Thunderbird. Um, you're going to hear more and more announcements about that, but um, you can. Act- this is actually how many—look how many seats they have, Right? So one of the things has been like, I don't have, I I want to bring my friend, but there's nowhere to sit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right here. Um... So, so that, that's going to be, we're meeting in their, their pure performing art or their art center there um, at Centennial High School. I just, this is kind of just an initial announcement. We're excited about it. What's great about um, the way that we do church, honestly, is we can meet anywhere on Sundays. We can meet in the grass field um, that's just outside the doors because we recognize we planted a church for the purposes of mission, and our mission is not us getting together um, this uh, in, in, you know, corporately on Sunday mornings. That's a part of what we do. But our mission is where our communities are, um, in homes, around people who do not know Jesus. And so we can do that, um, our corporate gathering, uh, a part of it anywhere, honestly. And so we feel like that is a good location and you're going to hear more and more announcements, but that's kind of the initial thing over the next, I don't know, what's that put us at? Uh, six, seven, eight weeks. Um, we'll give you places like directions and all that stuff, but just be aware if, uh, if you're new, you know, get, this place has been awesome. We've been here since we've started meeting on Sundays and um, we're just kind of busting at the seams So, So that's a good problem to have, honestly. But uh, anyway, just, just so you know, that is uh, an announcement for you to be aware of. If you don't know, um, we're in the the book of Matthew. So if you already haven't turned there, Um, Faith had had read from a part of it. Let me just catch you up if you have not been coming the last couple of weeks. We're going through the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, And that's something I've said each week because it's Jesus, a moment in his ministry where he gathers a couple thousand people. um, And as these 2,000 people gather around on this mountainside, he preaches this sermon, which is recorded in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. And so we're we're going through that verse by verse, chapter by chapter, section by section. And and, and chapter 6 is going to be a little different for us. And I want to kind of give you a heads up as to what we're going to do, because this morning, my job is to give us a broad overview of the first 24 verses of that section, okay? And and, and then next week, what we're going to do, which is uh, the second, um, we're going to hone back in on some of the verses uh, that, that we'll, we'll go over today. We're going to hone back in on verses 5 through 15, which is, if you know your Bible, that's the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, we're going to go into that section, And then after that, we're going to actually recap the five verses that uh, uh, Faith came up here and read. She only read two of them, but we're going to go to verse 24. 19 through 24 is actually part of our text on the 9th of October, if that makes sense. Okay. I think I had a, yeah, there you go. Um, So just so you're aware, if you're kind of a Bible neat neck and need to know exactly your type A, freaking out as to what we're doing with the Bible, um, that's so you're kind of just aware. Um, Up to this point, let me catch you up what Jesus has been talking about. What we've come to find out is Jesus comes on the scene, declares what? His kingdom. He's come on the scene and said, I have a kingdom that is counterintuitive and counter to this kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And that's good news for us because the way that we process things is not the way that the kingdom of God works. It's an upside down kingdom. And one of the things that we found to be true, for example, was was last week when we talked about lust, we talked about adultery, we talked about uh, uh, giving oaths or or putting a spin on the truth. There are certain sinful things that we read um, in and we read a societal view or a kingdom of darkness view onto. It. meaning our society, you and I, and for the most part, all of the world view salvation, no matter what God you serve as works based salvation, that as long as you do the right things, you will be accepted. And, and that's not how we're supposed to read the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the end of chapter 5. We're not supposed to read Jesus going, hey, listen, if you uh, look at a woman with less in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. And we're to go, okay, well, then I can't even look at a woman. As long as I don't look at a woman with less in my heart, then, then I'm good. No, that's still works-based salvation. That's still you making sure there's lines in the sand, you've gotten it right. No, rather, Jesus is going, hear me, you have a heart problem. And and, and your issue is, is, is not just lust. It's not just pornography. It's not just looking at her when she bends over. No, no, no. You've got a heart problem. And what I've brought in my kingdom and being a citizen of my kingdom can actually change that. And so what we've done is we've added that societal approach to salvation. We've taken that and we've allowed it to seep into the church. And so what I talked about last week is we have our own kind of culture, don't we? We have our own kind of language, our, our own movies that we're allowed to watch. They have to have Kurt Cameron in them. And, and then the movies we're not allowed to watch. We can never watch Brad Pitt films. And there's all these type of things. But the reality is we've built our own culture. And, and it's counterintuitive to the gospel. And, and here this morning, what we're going to do in chapter 6 is we're going to get at why we do that? Why Jesus is doing that? More appropriately, we're going to get at the sin underneath that sin. Okay, um, and so to start, um, uh, verse one is is kind of a thesis that I'll argue in chapter six, and then the rest of the passage we're going to go at. Now, before we read this thesis, let me just talk about how some things have seeped in the same way that it's seeped in. If you um, watch uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, if you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy, get your game right. That movie's legit. Um, but it's PG thirteen, so it's on you. Okay, um, so 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 he in this in this movie, there's a part where again, Peter Quill, the main character, um, he's kind of in space and he has a mask on, and there's this girl Gamora that he likes, some alien figure, and um, he likes her, and she's like dying, whatever space does to you, suffocating, freezing. I have no idea really, but but she's kind of dying, and he takes this mask that allows him to breathe, and he puts it on her so that she can live, and then kind of this ship comes along, traptor, tractor beams them in, and they're kind of sitting there. And she looks at him, and she goes, you save me. You save me. And he looks at her, um, and he wants to be known as, like, Star Lord, like this big deal. And he goes, yeah, I just, I found something within me that I didn't know was there. It was so amazingly heroic and so awesome. And she just rolls her eyes like, oh, Lord, right? Because he had done this great thing, but he suddenly, like, Yeah, and I'm kind of awesome for it, aren't I, right? And this is to the epitome, right? This is Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech. I mean, ain't nobody arguing that Michael Jordan is the best basketball player. And if you millennials dare bring up LeBron or Kobe and try to argue that that is not true, I will rebuke you publicly right now. So Michael Jordan, we all agree, is the best basketball player. To walk this earth, and he gets up and he gives his Hall of Fame speech. And if you've ever listened to it, I would challenge you to listen to it. He just gets up and he's like talks about how awesome he is, and you're going, MJ. I want you to be awesome, but I don't want you to know you're awesome, right? And so this is what we want. We we kind of want this this this. It's good things, but I want to be known uh, for doing those good things. And and that idea that 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 idea that tone. What Jesus is going to put in front of us, that self-glorifying tone, even though we may be good at seeping in, it might not be blatant like we're going to read about, there's a self-glorifying tone that is of the kingdom of darkness that is not welcomed into the kingdom of God. And that is the premise. And that's actually how Jesus starts with a quote-unquote thesis when he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I just want you to see that first word there because the tone that's going to be set out from, from the beginning of what we're hearing is, is beware. I mean, if you, you can kind of see this, um, as like a father who sees something in his children and goes, listen, I, I'm only seeing destruction, uh, uh, in the path you're taking. I'm only seeing bad. And if I am a good dad, I need to tell you something that there's something, a part of you, that's a part of you that needs to be removed and it's going to be painful and it's going to be difficult. And he's looking at us, go, just, just be careful. Be careful there's not too much of you in your story. Be careful you're not doing things to be seen by other people. Be careful because though your pride swells, your ego swells, your soul is going to shrivel. Be careful. Beware of doing this because when you practice your righteousness, which is I think um, so beautiful in how he explains it, because again, remember last week, we think of righteousness as something we do, but no, righteousness in this is a noun. It's this this place that this thing of, of, of that has been imputed on me. Here it is. I am righteous. And when I practice what Jesus has done for the sake of being seen, beware, beware. And you can see immediately how he's transitioning, right? Because you don't watch certain movies, because you don't listen to certain music, because you don't do this or you do do that. You're awesome. Beware. Be careful, man. That stuff will eat you alive. Be careful. I I think there's um, some beauty as we're we're uh, going to read this, and I want to share an example that I've seen um, within even my own kids. Right. So Eve, she's three years old, and she loves to kind of like twirl, dance, and uh, run around. And she doesn't know how to dance, but she kind of just like goes in circles. And there have been moments where she just goes, "Well, record me, record me. Are you recording?" And and I'm recording. She goes, "Well, are you recording?" I'm going, "Eve, just dance already." Now. She says she's doing it for me, but the reality is as I'm recording her, as soon as she's done, she'll go, okay, let me see the phone. And she wants to watch herself dance. She's not dancing for me. She's not. She's dancing for herself. She wants to see herself. Beware. Be careful. We, we, we've got to talk through how this works. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. So there's four things going into this that I, I want you to be aware of that are just kind of Again, semantical things. The first thing is we're not going to read verses 7 through 15, okay? Not because it's not important, okay? But I, when I get to verse 6, I'm going to go immediately um, over to, to verse 16. And that is because my man Dwayne Hawkins from LifeGivers Church, um, he's, a, he's a guy that I've gotten to know over the last probably six months who's a big part of um, getting some pastors together here in the West Valley. A really good dude. Um, he, he pastors in the Southwest Valley He's going to come preach for us, um, and I'm really excited. He grew up in the the black church tradition, so he promised he's going to hoop for us, which is like, and the Lord, and the Lord, he said. I told him I wouldn't say that he would do that, but he will. Um... No, he won't. He's not at all. Anyway, um, so anyway, I'm excited for that. He's going to go through the Lord's Prayer with us. Um, And then the the second thing that I want you to know is just the structure of it. So if you guys can check this out real quick, there's a structure to what Jesus is going to do. He just kind of laid out that first verse as a thesis, but then he's going to go through three things, and then he's going to finish with kind of a fourth, um, that 19 through 24 thing. So if you're a type A person, track with me, because you'll like this part. The the three sections he's going to go, he's going to talk about giving, he's going to talk about prayer, and he's going to talk about fasting. When he talks about these three things, there's a structure. He does the same exact thing for all three. So he's going to start when you blank, when you give, when you fast, when you pray, whatever it is, don't be like or do like the hypocrites. And then he's going to explain how the hypocrites do it the wrong way. Okay. Don't be like them. So when you pray, when you fast, when you give, whatever it is, don't be like the hypocrites because this is how they're doing it. And then he's going to say, they have received their reward every single time. They're doing it like this because they've received their reward. But when you, again, pray, fast, whatever it is, do it like this. And it's going to explain how we should do it. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So there's a structure to this. Now, I want you to to understand those first two words, when you, are, are big. Because he's not saying, hey, if you pray. In Jesus' mind, he's coming to the, the, the Sermon on the Mount with the idea of we as the people of God are going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to read our Bibles. We're going to meditate. We're going to practice serving. We're going to practice giving. We are going to do that. Now that's important as we continue through this because the assumption lies, he's going to say, first of all, you're doing this, right? You're doing this. And so maybe you're not. I, I would challenge you to, to wrestle with that because I would argue it's the, the, the passage from a broad view is not really about giving, fasting, or prayer. It's not. It's, it's more than that. Um, it, it's bigger. I think you can add any of the seven Christian practices of the faith and put it in there. I don't think it's ultimately about that. And the last thing is this. Um, the first 18 verses of chapter 6 mention the word Father than all of the Old Testament combined. Matter of fact, there, the, the, the first 18 verses mention uh, the word Father 10 times in this, which is more than any 18 chapters of all of the Bible combined. Jesus, in his sermon, turns on a dime, and he's talking about how you and I have a tendency, how the world's philosophies of, or of work-based salvation has seeped into the church, and he's going, that's because... You don't view him as your father. So a guy named Rick McKinley gave a great example of of a, of a kid who, when he was eight years old, was adopted by a family, and everywhere he went, he had papers, right? Look, my adoption papers. I've been adopted by this family. They have taken me in. Look, look, I can prove it right here, right now. And eventually, you have to help but wonder, what's going on in the psyche of that kid? Why does he care so much about these papers, like, do those papers have intrinsic value? No. Why is he not talking about being part of the family in an intimate sense? No, no, look at me, I'm fasting, see? I'm reading, can't you see that? I, I haven't missed church in all of 2016. Look at me! Can you not see this? No, no, we're, we're like a, a, a neglected son in that way. But Jesus is turning and he's putting in front of us, he's a father. You have been adopted into a family. And I can only express this in so many ways for you to understand that, man, maybe you, like me, like grew up with a terrible father, maybe a terrible family. I remember very specifically um, thinking through how this, like, when I saw this text, looking back at a time where um, it was kind of just like, for me, like take care of myself growing up, right? So you figure it out. You know, I I remember trying to get a job at, at 15 you know, 15, 16 years old at Subway because I wanted to move out on my own. It was kind of just take care of myself. When I was adopted into a family, um, like seeing the parents up before me and they're like helping with breakfast and like they were like, they were like taking care of me. That was different. And it was hard because suddenly I went from like, I've got to earn it. I got to take care of myself. Now I'm in a situation where this family is taking care of me. They're taking care of me. I didn't even have categories for that. And Jesus is going, listen, listen, bro. I've got you. You're trying to earn your way into this family. I've got you. Father, 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 father. Over and over and over, he uses this idea of father. And it's not father in a public sense. You're going to hear it. It's the father who hears you when no one else knows. He cares. Man, he cares. So let's get at it. Verse 2 is the first one that we're going to read. This is what it says after his thesis of practicing our righteousness. Now he's going to say thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So I put up that little structure thing. You're going to see it here, right? And when you, here it is, give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites. I want to talk about this because he's going to use this idea. This word hypocrite um, has a literal translation and, and, and a figurative translation. It's actually two Greek words, literally, um, meaning under. So the first word is under judgment. We've come under judgment. That's a literal translation. But there's a figurative translation um, or definition. In the same way, um, if you think of the word heart, right? If I go, hey, you've got a big heart, right? That, And figuratively, that's, oh, they've got a big heart. But if a doctor tells you you have an enlarged heart, that's not as good, right? Okay, so, so we understand this. There's a literal translation and a figurative, and, and the same way for this word hypocrite, right? It's not just coming under judgment, but it's an idea of, of someone literally translated who, um, who is used actually like within Greek theater. Maybe if you grew up in church, you heard this. Um, Greek actors would come on the stage and they have all this makeup, and when they need to play another part, they need to play another character, they would get a mask, and they'd put the mask over so now they can be another part, and they were called the hypocrite. That's what they're—this is literally how, how they would use that word to translate this figurative idea of now they're playing two parts. Now, hypocrisy—and this is, this is unfortunate. We see hypocrisy as someone saying one thing and doing another. That's not hypocrisy. That's failing, okay? Hypocrisy is pretending to be one thing when you say you are another, okay? And the difference there is huge because as Christians, we— <laughs> We're all, I mean, if that's it, then we're all hypocrites. And that's why the the world would look at us and go, you're a bunch of hypocrites. No, we're a bunch of failures. Like I get up here and say, you need to read your Bible, but I believe that you need to read your Bible. But there are days when I fail at reading my Bible. I truly don't believe that that makes me a hypocrite. It makes me a failure. I failed in that. I feel the conviction of that. But if I got up here and said, you need to read your Bible because it's important all the while not really believing that reading your Bible is important, then I'm a hypocrite. Okay. That definition is huge. The reason that definition is huge is because what Jesus is getting at when he calls these religious leaders hypocrites is motive. He's not just getting at action. Hypocrisy is not just found in action, but it's found in motive. They're getting up there in this moment and they go, hey, all you who are poor, time to get your money. We're going to give away money. And when he calls out to the poor, they're gathering around, right? But he's also getting everyone else's attention. And so here they go, giving money to the poor. Look at that guy. He gives money to the poor. Or when they come to the giving boxes, right? Instead of just dropping it in nice and quiet, they might like to a cling in the, in, in the box and make it nice and loud so people know how much you're giving. You are doing this not for you, not for, for them. You're not giving for them. You're giving for yourself, and, and what Jesus is saying, that tone of trying to earn or self-glorification is not welcomed in the kingdom of God, but it's found in the kingdom of darkness. Let's be honest, that, that's, that's how we, we get along in the kingdom of darkness. We, we try to make ourselves known in this way. I mean, guys, I've been in the, the, the situations where I've watched, if you don't know, the $100 handshake, where the guy who's kind of new to the church wants to, you know, be known, right? He, he gives the pastor a, a, a hand, you know, he shakes his hand, he's got a $100 bill in there. Like, this idea, this philosophy has seeped in. It's happened to me. Ye- within a year and a half, it's already happened twice. And I, let me just throw this out to you, FYI, on a practical sense. I have no idea, me as one of the four elders, have no idea who gives what. I want you to know that. So, like, sometimes people come up, like, with a little bit of swag. Like, I know how much they give. I'm like, who are you? Okay? Like, the, the reality is, like, the, the, there's, a, there's a beauty for, like, Jim knows, Stephen knows. They, they know, who, like, who's giving what. But in this moment, you're not, if you're trying to give for me or you're trying to give for a leader or you're trying to give, for people to know you're giving for the wrong reasons. And dare I say, you're, you're giving And living the practical implications of the kingdom of darkness. We're not living like citizens of the kingdom. God would say in this moment, as givers, hey, listen, I'm not gonna even let anyone know. I'm just gonna give. And I want to challenge you as we move forward. You guys, we need this. We need this in places of our life all over. There need to be things that you as Christians take to your grave. I'm serious. Do we do we believe this? Do we believe he's really watching? Do we actually believe it in such a way that we can do things? There are things that I've got to force myself that right now only my wife knows things that I will do for as long as I possibly can do them until I die and pray that God would be glorified in me doing it. We need this, that our ego would not swell and our soul would shrivel. We need this desperately. Now, he's not done. Um, so he goes on to, to say this. So that, that's in the giving sense, right? That this God will reward us. we're going to talk about that rewarding. And I will say... I know for sure if you want to look it up, you can later, but in in Luke 16, uh, Jesus literally calls out the Pharisees. That's why they're giving. He says, You want to look good in front of people. That's why you're giving. And I would challenge you forget the giving piece. Any of it. Any of it. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? This whole Christian thing. Why are you doing it? He's not done. my boys, uh, Corbin and Titus. Corbin's eight, Titus is six. Um, they really like Lego guys, and I've tried to think through how I want to disciple them culturally through consumerism. I don't want my kids just to be consumers and just want only about them, but teaching them how to serve. And if you don't know this, that's extremely difficult. They're already selfish little beings, and now you have like our society teach them, teaches them to only be more selfish. That the world is about them, and so um, I've tried to process this. And one of the things that I've done is I went and bought a bunch of Lego guys, which they like Lego guys, and in um, I have an area. Where where it's kind of like a little library area. And on the top of the, the um, bookshelf, I put these little Lego guys, right? And so I don't know, maybe 30 of them up there. And all the Legos, that it's Spider-Man, right? Thor, all the guys that they will want, these little Lego figures, the cool ones, not the lame ones. Um, and and, and here's, here's how they get these things, right? They cannot um, earn these things. What they have to do, actually, they don't even truly even know this because I haven't even walked them out, only the times I've given it to them, is when they're doing something that is selfless, when they're doing something, not trying to get a pat on the back, and they're just doing something because it's the right God-honoring thing to do, then I take them aside, I explain to them why that honors God, and I let them pick one of those Lego things. Now, I need you to hear, they're getting this reward from their father, but they're, the moment where I came out and Titus was just, um, I, I just finished uh, building something and there's sawdust everywhere, and I came out into the garage and he was just sweeping it all up into a pile, Right? well, what are you doing, buddy? And he's like, I don't know, I just wanted to help you clean up. Now, you know, if you have kids, you know when they're trying to trick you, right? They think we don't know, but we know. Um, and he wasn't. In that moment, he was just like, kind of like, <laughs> like, just cleaning up. And I brought him in. I said, buddy, pick any of these things because you weren't trying to like earn my love. You were just being. You're just doing it because it was, it was the right thing to do. This is what honors God, right? And so we have to teach them. Now, Now the question here is that here, the, here are the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and they're praying, but they're praying to be heard by others. They're doing a good thing, but they want to be known by other people, right? So they have these long robes. Oh, here he comes. That's the guy. And he prays so that he can be known. Now, growing up in the charismatic world, I know these people, right? People pray for like half hour. I'm like, Please stop talking to God. Please, right now. Okay? Now here's what's amazing. Jesus is putting in front of us that they're actually not praying to God. So the question has to be, who are they praying to? If they're not praying for the purposes of God hearing, but they're praying for the purposes of man hearing, who are they praying to? Who are they praying to? And Jesus is going, that's not the way that we do it. Now, some of you would be super scared to pray in public, right? Um, But you find other sleight-of-hand ways to make sure people know you've done these righteous acts, haven't you? But Jesus says, no. Go in secret, and if you truly believe this thing's legit, if you believe this whole Christian thing's the, the real thing, then know that he hears you. No one else will hear you. Know that he hears you. That's what Jesus puts in front of us. He's not done. He goes into fasting. Hear me, America. He goes into fasting. Um... And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fast, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen by others but uh, may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So here's the context. Um, it was normal. It was a normal thing for not just the Jews, but predominantly the Jews, the people of God at the time, but also Gentiles. People who were not Jewish, not the people of God at the time, to take one day a week and fast for their God. And, and, and some Jews like, would take it up a notch. You actually see this in the account of, of the Gospel of Luke, where or, or some Pharisees would go, well, I fast twice a week. So the normal thing would be fast, I don't know, let's say every Thursday. We fast every Thursday as a church. We all know this, okay? And what he is saying in this moment is some of the religious leaders, what they do is they would kind of like, they would disfigure their face. That doesn't mean like cut it up or whatever, but they they wouldn't, I mean, girls, let's just talk like they wouldn't put on makeup. So suddenly that day on Thursday, man, you look tired. You all right? And you go, yeah, yeah, I'm just just struggling for the Lord, right? And now, what do you mean? Oh, nothing, nothing. Come on, talk about it. Well, since you asked, I'm, I'm fasting today, right? Like there's this sleight of hand. I'm not like, ah, uh, yeah, you know, I can slip it in. I know how to let people know uh, how, how I'm doing this. And, and again, the second reference, to the fact that in the charismatic world, my tradition that, you know, now being in the reformed tradition, one of the most disheartening things that, that being raised in the assemblies of God and and Borderline prosperity gospel, but just regardless, in the charismatic wave of things, of speaking in tongues of all that, one thing that I really missed coming into the Reform community was fasting. I felt like fasting was a big part of the DNA of, of what we believed. It was a practice that was practiced. But in the Reformed community, guys, let's be honest, I don't even know how many of you guys fast. I mean, statistically, less than 3% of you would even, like, regularly fast. And unfortunately, Jesus just brings to the table, when you fast. So the first thing is before anything, I would challenge you to fast, but when you do, don't be the guy who lets people know, right? So I've sat at the table before when you're, listen, when you're four days in and you have had only water, I promise you, you like sit at a table with food and everything within your flesh wants to go. I just want to die right now. Okay. I promise you. And what Jesus says in this moment is no, 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 put it on. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. But where's your strength? You're good, right? You're good. I'm good. I'm good. And when you get 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 days in, I've watched some of these people within the first 21 days of care, of Matt, like in that movement, people just blatantly like wanting people to know, right? Like this is where I'm at. And listen, that's not how Jesus says it. And, and if you could just remove fasting for a second, hear me. We want this in general with just about anything within our Christianity. I mean, let me be straight with you. Um, like to my detriment, there have been moments where I've, I've set aside my reading time for God at six o'clock, because you know what happens at 637? My community starts showing up. So I set my reading time from six to seven because it looks good for me as a pastor. Oh, you guys came in and I was reading my Bible. You see what I've done? It wasn't intentional. I'm not blatantly out saying I'm reading my Bible, but, but as a leader, as a pastor, you know, I would read my Bible, right? This is what Jesus is warning against, because in that moment, I'm not reading my Bible for me. I'm not reading my Bible for the Lord. I'm not reading my Bible to grow in the Lord. I'm reading my Bible for blank to walk in the room and see me reading my Bible. And here's what's crazy. Jesus says, you've got your reward, homie. You want to be known? Have it. And this isn't new. This is Check this out. This is before Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat. People were doing this in the early 2000s, want to cockroaches on fear Factor so they can be popular. That 15 minutes of fame is within us. We want to be known. The very first sin is Cain frustrated with the fact that God liked Abel's offering more. We want the attention. We want it. It's in our DNA, and it's a repercussion of Genesis 3. But Jesus comes on the scene and says, I can change that. I can change that. So what is our reward? Because that, that's the, it seems like like God is going, or Jesus is saying in this moment, don't do this because you're going to get your reward now, but God will reward you. What is that reward? What is it? Because whatever it is, it should be motivating us to, to keep our relationship with God between him and I. Well, let's see it. It goes on in the, the section, I think, to, to, um, to define that. This is what it says in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where th- neither moth nor rust destroys and where, uh, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the first thing that he's going to break down is this idea of um, like this, this momentary... Uh, earning this here and now, uh, fervor for things, right? And then let's, let's go through all the cliches, the house, the car, right? Like, like keeping up with the Joneses, all those things. You're trying to gain what you cannot keep, and you're missing out what will last forever. And so Jesus is saying in this moment, you'd be a fool to do that, to try to live for this, to try to live for now. Now, his point is not boats and cars, right? His, po- his point is the accolades of men. You trying to live in this way, yes, You're awesome. And just as quickly as it came, nobody knows who was on Fear Factor on October 15th, 2002. No, nobody knows because you had your moment and now it's gone. But verse 21 says, hear this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, um, Candace and I were talking with our kids about this specific verse. And and it's so crazy because, from the perspective of a child, um, asking them, what's your treasure? When he says treasure, what does he mean treasure? And when he says heart, what does he mean heart? And it's so crazy because within them, they recognize you're always going to go after what you want. Like the way he, the way Corbin explained it, it's like simple. It's like, well, I want that, so I'm going to do that. So the reason I get upset at Eve for taking my Lego guy is because I want my Lego guy. So that causes a visceral reaction within me to grab that Lego guy from her. Because what you want, you're going to go after Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you skip down to verse 24, it says this. No one can serve two masters. We're going to go to, don't worry, we're not done with 22 and 23. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so this is what Jesus says. If you want now, you're going to go after now. If you want man's praise, you're going to go after man's praise but if you truly believe, and you truly want God's praise, if you truly want God to smile, if you truly want God to be happy, that's what you're going to go after. And this, this like, you cannot do both. You can't do both. You can't do both. Matter of fact, we're told those who try to do both at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, you're spewed out of God's mouth because you're lukewarm. This is why we start with the word beware beware. Be careful. And I think the answer, in a crazy way, is actually found in most, the most confusing verse, verses 22 and 23, in our whole passage. So, randomly, he's talking about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he's saying, you can't serve God and money. And randomly, Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light, is, uh, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus, what are you talking about? He randomly goes, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if your eye is light, then it's good. But if it's darkness, that's bad. Okay, and you can't serve God and money. What is he talking about? And it's crazy because this actually requires a little bit of um, uh, breaking down of the text. So track with me because I think the beauty that's found and how we'll tie this whole thing together is actually found in those two verses. The only other time that this idea of your eye being bad is actually found in Matthew. Matthew uses this exact terminology again, and he uses it in a parable that Jesus is giving in Matthew 20. The parable goes like this. Jesus explains that there's a, a, uh, a guy who has this field that needs to be worked on. There's this master's, this field needs to be worked on. It's a lot of work. And so what he does, he goes into the town square at 4 M. And he sees a couple guys. He says, Hey, why don't you come work the field for me and I'll pay you a hundred bucks? Cool. Okay. So he talked to those two guys. So he's looking at it and it's now 6 a.m. He's going, Oh Lord, they're not going to get all this done. So about 9 a.m., he goes back to the town square and he says, Hey, come work, come to my field. I'll give you a hundred bucks and and you just come work. And so at 9 a.m., I want you to work, right? So they're working. Okay. And he's looking at the field again around 11, 11.30, and he's going, dude, this work is not going to be done. So he goes back to the town square. He sees around noon. He gets these guys. He goes, listen, I got guys working. I'll pay you a hundred bucks to come work the field. So they come work the field. And now he's looking again. It's now 4 p.m. They've got until 6 p.m. That's when they're closing up shop. He goes, okay, we've got to figure this out. So there's a couple stragglers left in the town square to still work, right? So he gets these day laborers. He brings them in, he says, work this field for, from four to six, and I'll pay you a hundred bucks. And so they work, and they work, and they work, and they get the job done, 6 p.m., all right, come get your paychecks. And the guy come, the guys come at 4 a.m. who started there, working there for 14 hours, sits there and goes, here, here's your hundred bucks. Guys come at 9 a.m., here's your hundred bucks. Now, as the guys who uh, walk past them at 4 a.m. kind of look back and go, "Hundred hundred bucks, I worked for a hundred bucks, okay? And so they continue to watch, now the guy's at noon, here's your hundred bucks. I started at 4 a.m., they started at noon. What, like... That's like an eight-hour shift. What? Okay, and, and now, now here comes the guys at 4 p.m. They work two hours. Here's your 100 bucks, And the guys are super upset about this, right? They're, they're super upset, and they go to him and go, what the heck, man? Like, I worked 14 hours today. You paid me $100. That guy worked two hours, and you paid him $100. What's the deal? And this is what the, the, the uh, master replies. Now, just so you understand, what Jesus is talking about in this parable is salvation, the purpose and the point is it doesn't matter how hard you've worked. It doesn't matter how long you've worked. Salvation is given based on what the, the, the master, the one who owns the field, how he wants to give it. And so you can get saved that you grew up in youth group and you were saved in children's church and you've never seen certain things. And then suddenly this floozy walks in the room. She's, she's wearing all the wrong things and here she comes and suddenly she serves Jesus, right? And suddenly like now you guys are on par with one another and, and check it out. You're the guy who started at 4 a.m. in that moment. Salvation is not yours. It's Jesus's. He's going to give it how and when he wants. And if you can't see the beauty of that, you're missing it. And this is exactly how the master responds in verse 15. This is what he says. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Hear this last part. Or do you begrudge my generosity? So this is in Matthew 20, verse 15. This is how he responds to the guys at 4 a.m. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? That last statement, do you begrudge my generosity, I would argue is a very liberal paraphrase to what is literally translated. Literally translated, this is how it would say, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or is your eye so bad you can't see that what I am doing is good? The exact same terminology, the exact same language that's used in Matthew 6. The point being is this. You're working for now. You're working for temporal things, things you're going to lose, because you don't see the beauty of grace. You don't see the beauty of the gospel. You've got a bad eye. You're seeing things in all the wrong way. And so, so when I sit here and tell you that your reward is, if you are a Christian is, and I quote, listen to these verses and may they wash over you. Revelation 22, 4, that you will see God face to face. Hear John 3, 2. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. In Matthew 25, and we shall enter into the joy of our master. Matthew 5, 8, they shall see God according to the Beatitudes. In 1 Peter 1, 9, that we will see God just as we know that he is now. That there is a day that you will be with him. You will see him. And suddenly in that moment, you'll go, it was worth it. But it's hard to work for that. If your your eyes, if what you see is darkness, if, if what you see is messed up, meaning you're still seeing the kingdom of darkness. You're still seeing things this way. And my prayer is that we would wake up from our stupor. We would stop allowing the philosophies of this world to seep in, and we would allow God for us to see that the world that he offers, the beauty that he offers, the joy that he offers. I mean, how many times, I can only get up here on every Sunday and explain this the same way. You seeking for all those things that you're looking for, like, like for happiness. I mean, let's go through the examples again. Like on the computer, with him or her in that room, at the casino, when you gossip, in, in making your kids idols, whatever it is, over and over and over, it's going to let you down. Th- those idols will never fail to fail you. That's, the, that's, a, that's a dark way to see it. And that, that darkness is so great because you think you're on the right track. It looks like you're on the right track. Don't be deceived, man. May God, in his good graces, wash over us and give us the ability to see things they really are, that our hope is not in this world, and the reward is far more. It is far better than anything this world can afford us. Let's walk that out as Christians, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for your word. First off, uh, we would be really lost. And um, we recognize even we see this. There's cultures all around us on the earth that's um, people who love you and your kingdom is growing there and they desperately desire to have a Bible. And um, geez, we've got got them on our kitchen tables, counters, bookshelves, phones, computers. It's crazy. Um, My prayer is that we would not come to this text like, a text like this and get lost in the, the details, but we would see that you've called us to practice these things. But but for your glory, that we would um, we would care about what you think, that we would we would honor you in what we do, we would want to make you smile, we would want your attention, we would want the accolades from you. That our heart is to, to be with you, and every Christian in this room right now knows that, that, that our heart is going to continue to be restless until it's found to be satisfied in you for all of eternity. That's, we're going to continue to grasp for straws and lose our way until we find that the reality is the kingdom of God is here, and it is presented the right way to live. Thank you so much for that, for your word teaching us that. Our prayer now is that we would uh, be diligent to live this out well. Um that we would do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.